From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. David Flink is the co-founder and chief empowerment officer at I2I, a nonprofit that empowers young people with learning disabilities by giving them, connecting them with a mentor who shares that experience. David is a true social movement leader on the front lines of the new learning rights movement. He's the author of Thinking Differently, an inspiring guide for parents of children with learning disabilities. And he sits on the boards of several national nonprofits. He speaks regularly on campuses and at conferences to help increase awareness about those who learn and think differently. An important aspect of who we are as individuals. One in five people in America have such brains that make them think and learn differently. In this conversation, David tells the story of how he developed not just acceptance but pride in his identity as someone with dyslexia, a pride he strives to instill in all of the students served by the Eye to Eye program, which is now in every state. All right, get set to listen, learn, and be inspired by the story that David tells of triumph over adversity and compassionate mentoring, and hear his sage advice for what parents and others can do to support people who learn differently. And as a bonus, we've included at the very end of the uh, episode, a short conversation I had with a listener who called into the radio sh- to, to share his story. I hope you enjoy it. David, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Hi, Stu. It's great to be on the show, and uh, thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's great to have you here. So tell us... In brief, I know it's a big story, but tell us in brief about Eye to Eye, what you do, and the social movement that you are creating. So Eye to Eye, um, and I think you described it well in the introduction, is uh, a social movement uh, empowering the one in five people in America and in the world who learn differently, like dyslexia and ADHD, to allow them to achieve their full potential, starting off with school by giving them mentors who learn and think just like they do. And ultimately, out in the world, helping the world better understand what does it mean to have a learning difference and to live a productive life uh, in a family, in a community, um, in the home. Um, hmm. And it's uh, it's been an honor to do this work. And I have to just to say at the beginning, I'm a huge fan of you. As, as I think you know, we've had a chance to chat mm-hmm. a little outside the context of our listeners. And, and I believe the focus that you have in bringing to the world, the fullness of self, is very much aligned with hmm. my own personal mission. Uh, yeah, I, I think we see the world in, in very similar ways and are trying to do work to, to help uh, enable uh, each individual to have the freedom and the support to, to be who they want to become. So mm-hmm. 
How did you get there? Uh, I, I'm sure you've told the story many times, but uh, probably most of our listeners don't know it. So what, in brief, was the journey that led you? What were the, what were the critical events that led you to creating Eye to Eye? And, and what's the vision that inspires what you are now doing? Well, I'll try and give uh, some of the highlights for sure, and I appreciate the invitation to share that story. Um, and I would add that while my version of the story is just my own, I've definitely learned a lot doing this work for now almost 20 years and mm-hmm. being on this planet for 37 of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Uh, I was thinking about the interview you did with a friend of mine um, who also had a learning disability or has a, a learning difference, as I think, you know, he often describes it, um, who I think maybe was is a professor also uh, along alongside you. Um, You're talking about Scott works, Barry Kaufman? Barry, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a feeling some of the things I'm going to share are probably similar to some of his experiences. Uh, thinking way back in the early years of my life, school was just hard, and there's no other way to put it. And when you have dyslexia and you have ADHD, and you think about the job of a student, your job is to do well in school. You know, think about all of our kids when they show up. The first question we ask them uh, when they get home is, how was your day? Mm-hmm. And my answer to that question was almost always, it was awful. Can you, before, job, before c- yeah. continuing, David, just explain for some people who might not know what dyslexia and ADHD are, what are those oh, conditions? Oh, yeah, thanks for that. So if you have dyslexia, it means you struggle, struggle with the written word. Um, in my case, it meant that when I see a symbol, I have trouble associating the correct sound with that symbol. So you can imagine just reading a word like cat and not knowing that that's made up of three sounds. Ah, you know, that's your job, and I couldn't do that. And with ADHD, hmm. um, it's kind of like your brain is um, it's on, a, it's on a, uh, a, a binge of watching lots of TV, but you don't have control of the channel. Like the click, someone else is changing the clickers. So you're, you have lots of creative ideas. And your mind is often going a million miles a minute. But if your job is to sit still and stay focused in a class, um, your mind wanders a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I would get in trouble a lot in school. And this was really before I knew that I had dyslexia and ADHD. I was just mm-hmm. a kid who didn't sit so well, mm-hmm. um, who forgot his homework often and um, wasn't paying attention well. And then when asked to do something like read the directions and do that thing on the page, I couldn't decode the words. It was really, really hard. Hmm. So, so how did that... <laughs> Should I go on and tell the well, highlights, right? Well, I mean, that I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, what that must have been like. I mean, you must have tried in, in some form to explain yourself to the people who were asking you to do things that you were finding it really, really hard, if not impossible, to do. Yeah, and I wasn't an empowered learner, um, and it's not the fault of the teachers or the school. Um, this is back in the 80s, and we really thought that smart kids sit still and read. Mm-hmm. And we now, I think, have a much more evolved sense of what school is about, mm-hmm. um, or at least I see some very progressive schools doing that. So um, it wasn't until really the fifth grade where I had struggled, 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 and progressively the school had just shifted physically where I was supposed to be in the classroom from inside the classroom to outside the classroom, they would say, well, Dave seems to be falling out of his chair a lot and is causing an awful lot of trouble, so why don't we just have him read out loud to himself? Um, and so by the time I was in fifth grade, I was spending more time in the hallway than I was in the classroom. Mm. And I had a really, um, I mean, b- despite that, I actually had a really loving community that I was in um, that said, we got to figure this out. And um, thankfully, my family uh, intervened, and I got an official 
I, I like to call it an identity. The, the, the technical term is a diagnosis, right? I got mm. diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD. And I say identity because for me, I then came to understand that I was a part of this really interesting community that really does mm. truly learn differently. Um, and that opened a whole world to me. For one, as I found a whole other set of individuals, the 20% of our population that learn and think like I do. I learned about different ways of reading. It was okay to read with my ears instead of my eyes. So I started listening to books on tape, um, which anyone probably under the age of 20 listening to this doesn't know what a tape is. But, uh, you know, suddenly being able to have access to books that way. Hmm. Uh, I learned about advancements in medication, um, which was helping me focus. Mm -hmm. And I was, it was acceptable. I went to start to go to schools where it was acceptable to remove my chair and sit on the bouncy ball or um, to move around. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I'll tell you as we're doing this, conversation i'm not seated i'm you know i'm standing and i'm going to be pacing because that's how my mind works best mm -hmm, when i'm moving mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it facilitates learning so these were early lessons for me um I, I can't tell you that the sense of self was really uh i wasn't walking around prideful that i learned differently because i think our culture sort of still frowned upon the person who needed to read with their ears instead of their eyes or who needed to move around to facilitate learning but i did understand that by using these tools that were available and maybe a little bit different than others, but still available to me, I was going to be able to succeed in school. And that's how I ended up at Brown. So you, yes, you, you did well. You must've done really well in high school, ultimately to be admitted to Brown university. I, I did well for sure. Um, and what I would say that got me through it, cause I don't want to just say, Oh, well, if you, you know, get rid of the chair and get a bouncy ball and suddenly, you know, can read it in a different way than using your eyes, you're going to be fine. I cannot stress enough how important it was that I had a community that cared about me, mm -hmm. uh, particularly starting with my nuclear family. I hit the family lottery. So every night, you know, when I came home, I had, I was very lucky. I had parents who um, looked past uh, some of my uh, oddities, uh, if you will, and, um, of course, my, as my grades went up, um, I, I had better grades in school, but still I was not doing it the way that the quote-unquote normal kids did. Right. And um, they reinforced also my other passions. Hmm. So um, unlike opera singing, uh, for me it was magic. I used to perform magic tricks and uh -huh. do kids' birthday parties. And, uh, you know, maybe that was strange. I don't know. I didn't know anybody else that did that, but they really celebrated that. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, there was rarely a family gathering where there wasn't some time set aside for Dave to show his newest escapist trick where I would, you know, make myself disappear out of a trunk that I had been working on to build for three months. So am I actually lines. speaking to Dave now or is this like uh, a hologram of Dave that, that is? <laughs> well, back then I was Dave the Magnificent, but I've lost <laughs> the Magnificent part. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, so so how did you get to create Eye to Eye? So I showed up at Brown and, you know, again, I have these sort of set of tools that I knew would help me do well in school, but I didn't have, um, well, I didn't have a sense of, of what I could do with my story. And I came from a family that really cared about service. I was sitting here thinking a little bit about like, what's going to be um, my role in service in this community. Um, but I, so I was thinking about service in the back of my mind, but I didn't walk around with pride. And I had this very with pride, you say pride, pride, mm -hmm. pride. Yeah, especially around uh, being a different thinker. Mm -hmm. I think we like to celebrate that, you know, nowadays. But then, um, you know, look, Apple had not come up with the brand Think Different. 
Uh, it wasn't mm. like a cool thing. Positive deviance wasn't something we talked about, right? No, no. The dominant the dominant ideology was from uh, IBM, which was Think. <laughs> That's right. That was their brand. <laughs> this is from the '60s, before your time. But anyway, yeah, no, so I, re- I, re- I remember the ad campaign where Apple was kind of coming after IBM right. talking about think or think different. Yes, yes. So, so I was struggling, right? Because here I was, clearly a different learner. I had gotten to Brown in a variety of ways that were not the norm. And so I'm sitting here thinking about how can I try and find some identity as a different thinker and how can I do service? And probably this is the only kind of way a different thinker can come to this conclusion. I had written a paper um, and I asked my roommate to proofread it for me. And when I got the paper back, I had done well on the paper, but there were tons of spelling errors. And I went back to my roommate um, and said to him, you know, look, I'm really upset with you. You were supposed to proofread my paper and there's all these spelling errors. And he said, well, you didn't ask me what you wanted me to proofread the paper for. I'm dyslexic. Hmm. And I thought, oh, my, I didn't tell him I was dyslexic either. We had both been hiding this pretty fundamental part of our personality. Yeah. In the closet, as it were. We were in the closet. Absolutely. And we had a chuckle, as you can imagine. What are the chances of one dyslexic asking another dyslexic to proofread their paper? It turns out the chances are actually quite high, even in a place like Brown. What do you and think the said, school knew that you that you both had this this common malady <laughs> and that they put you together for a reason? I will tell you that there's like a little piece of me that just loves the idea that there's some like person in you know the housing department that's like you know how great it would be if we put them together. Yeah, but, um, I'm sure that was not okay. the case. I Sorry. think it was totally random. All right, yeah. no, don't mean to digress on that. So, no, no, no. so he came uh, back, and 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 you you then discovered your common your common view of the world and and the mm-hmm. the issues that you were struggling with. So then, what happened? And so, and he also came from a family of service, and and we said, well, why why didn't we tell each other that? You know, we had talked about everything else the way that college roommates do. You know, I, I could tell you all about his bar mitzvah, which like was, you know, eons ago by the, you know, frame of a college student. I can tell you about his favorite hobbies. I can tell you about practically everything but this. Hmm. We didn't know anyone who was a college student who had a learning disability and sort of said that it was okay to even say that out loud. It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't acceptable. Hmm. Um, in fact, I think the allusion to being in the closet is exactly the right one. It just, it felt at that time like something bad would happen if we said it out loud. Mm-hmm. And so, we said, this is the kind of service we can do. Why don't we go back to our fifth grade selves and tell them? And since we don't have a time machine, let's just go find some real fifth graders. And we walked down the street um, to a school now called Barton Gregorian Elementary, named after the president of Brown at the time, but um, it was just called uh, Fox Point at the time. And we found this wonderful teacher uh, who was the head of uh, a special ed program in this school. And we said, like, basically, show me your dyslexic and ADHD kids. And we had no idea what we were going to do once mm-hmm. we got there. Um, but you had, a, and, you had an idea of what you wanted to accomplish. We knew we wanted to tell them our story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After that, we were going to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And this teacher said, like, here they are. <laughs> like, can you come on Tuesday? Like, they're available. And so we found a handful of other Brown students. Um, and... Uh, we started mentoring and really co-created the idea of eye to eye with these students. Mm-hmm. So you found you found your proteges, uh, mentees. Not sure what you call them, Dave. But uh, mm-hmm. then what happened? And 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 then fast forward to now and what you're trying to create 
now with eye to eye? Sure. So we started working with these students, and over time we built what is now a social-emotional learning curriculum, which is a sort of jargony way of saying how do you share yourself, how to share your tools, and to be able to imagine a future than perhaps uh, what, what you were feeling like when you're in school and struggling. And, and I will be totally honest with you, uh, I did that work out of service, and it was the favorite, favorite thing I did every week. It was what I wanted to do when I graduated college. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't understand that, there, that you could do a four-way win. Hmm. It didn't even occur to me that I could have a job that I loved with a home life that was meaningful, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, replenish myself and, and do well for my community. So my first job was in advertising. Hmm. <laughs> so I left Brown and thought, I hope I'd, I does well in the hands of these Brown students and didn't really understand until two years later that this was my life calling. Mm-hmm. And um, that was in 2004. Fast forward, we now operate, uh, you know, in 20 states and they're actually doing work in all 50 through uh, a variety of culture change initiatives that we, that we do. So it's kind of amazing to me to think that what I used to just do once a week as a sense of service is actually what I get to do for a living now and probably the only job I'll ever have after being in advertising briefly. <laughs> well, so now in your book, Thinking Differently, you, you offer some practical advice to parents, some of whom are listening to you right now, Dave, uh, and, and to educators. What are some of the most important things that we can do to support students who learn differently? So number one is seeing them for who they are. I think a lot of times we strive to put kids in a certain kind of uh, image in our minds. And I'll speak now as a parent. Um, I know I already am constructing a vision of what I want my kid's future to look like. But that's not actually the right way to approach kids, right? You have to see them for who they are. What are they like? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And then secondly, let them be the leaders in building their future with you. So when I kind of passively say strengths and weaknesses, that's actually fundamental to the human condition. Uh, I, I think about my, my daughter, who's a toddler, and I think about my 93-year-old grandfather, who um, unfortunately recently passed away but lived this incredible life. And I can tell you from Emma's birth to my grandfather's death, um, they both were fundamentally learners in exploring what it means to have strengths and weaknesses. And... Um, as parents and as teachers and as community members and ultimately even as coworkers, we have to continue that conversation. So it evolves. And if we're lucky, uh, that sense of ownership of mm-hmm. my strengths and weaknesses can be the thing that drives us in our school and in our work and in our families. Hmm. And, and, you know, and it's such an important idea, and it's really central to what we talk a lot about here on the show and, and embracing each individual and, and uh, and to really investing in what it is that they have to bring to us. Uh, now, I, I, I know also supports young adults making the transition from college to the workplace and beyond. So what, what supports do you offer in these you know, unstable first years of their professional lives, uh, which you experience in the advertising world, I imagine? Uh, how do you help people uh, when they're just getting started on their professional careers? I'm so happy that you asked that question, and I'm, I should say I'm so happy that we're having a conversation around work mm-hmm. also um, with learning differences, because I think a lot of times we just kind of keep that conversation in school. So I just want to kind of note mm-hmm. how great it is mm-hmm. that we can note that, like, this is, this is fundamental to how people operate. This is their brains. So 
these are lessons that um, we've drawn from our academic program into the work world, but uh, they're really questions we should all be asking to have meaningful work experiences. So what are the things we do? First, as kids are going from college to the work world, we actually just have them pause and say, what lights up your soul? When are you most excited? So we've learned, and this isn't strictly in the space of eye-to-eye or learning disabilities, but we've learned in just in life, when people are excited, when their brains are on fire, practically any barrier goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes a question of, of if, um, you know, we'll, or when we'll get there, not if we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So that's the first question we ask, what lights your soul? Uh, then secondly, we say, well, wh- how do you like to do that thing? So we really get them back to the strengths piece. I think a lot of times people focus on their weaknesses. They say, well, you know, let's use advertising. I'd love to do advertising. I think it's so creative. But, you know, I, I misspell things and so much of advertising is copy. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong way to get to an advertising job, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing to say is, well, what is advertising that's great? It's creative. Are you creative? Oh, awesome. You are? How do you process that? And as you start processing your own creativity, you create structures. And so we ask these questions of our young people and ultimately ask our young people to share that with their employers. Um, and in hmm. fact, we prototype this in our own offices. Um, our offices are bi-coastal, and so there's mm-hmm. challenges of being on California and New York. Uh, 75% of my staff has a diagnosed learning disability, so it's actually interesting. If you are uh, the quarter that doesn't have a learning disability, we're particularly aware that we've created a minority group, <laughs> people who may be predisposed to like reading a lot or to sit still for longer periods of time. So how do we accommodate them in hmm. addition to accommodating staff that's you know, hardwired to do things a little differently. So it's a lot of these questions about self. It's the same questions that I think everybody should ask. It's not just built mm-hmm. into having a differently wired brain. So, so uh, uh, you know, neurodiversity is an emerging field uh, in the broader frame of you know diversity, inclusion, work, and life. The whole person, you know, fitting and bringing you know what they have that is distinctive. What words of wisdom have do you have for organizations, people in business, all kinds of organizations who are wrestling with how to uh, how to make the most of you know this huge swath of our population that has a different way of learning uh, as as productive uh, members of their workforce? So I've liked it when I've gone to companies that check their assumptions. Um, mm-hmm. So as a culture set, I think that's really important. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I really enjoyed your interview uh, with um, the CEO of Basecamp. And, Jason um, Fried, yes. Yeah, and I, and I loved some of the ways that they checked their assumptions. And I, I'll be honest, um, I hadn't actually thought of using Basecamp until the interview, and, and we're looking at it now at eye to eye, because it's a really interesting way of saying, how do you show up? Mm-hmm. How do we show up? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think that the culture assumption, like one of the things I took from that interview, and I definitely recommend listeners to go back and hear that interview if, if they haven't, um, was that there was a, a, an actual uh, real focus on you have to be a good writer to work. Yes. Here, right? That's okay to name the stuff that you need. And that allows employees and employers mm-hmm. to match well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when I look at companies and they don't work well, they don't name what they need. Mm-hmm. And then there's a disconnect. And everybody feels that people aren't as productive. Uh, the bottom line is not met, and so really just being really explicit about what you need and how do we find the right people to get there. And I think neurodiversity is a big part of our work culture in order to get 
to the society we all want. So naming what you need is something that parents can help their kids to do and employees can help, uh, and managers can help their employees to do. Yes. We, there's been a disconnect in our society for a long time uh, between school and work, and I think there's an opportunity now to reconnect it if we care enough to try. So what's that going to take? We've only got another minute or so, unfortunately, Dave, and uh, perhaps we can pick this conversation up again some other time. But for for now, uh, you know, what's what's the, the big hurdle that you see in front of us as a society and, and eye to eye as an organization in terms of really trying to change the the conversation and the way uh, that we address you know these assumptions that that underlie so much of what you know creates stigma and makes it makes life life difficult uh, unnecessarily for people who have learning differences what can we do well i think we probably you and i should have another conversation because i think it's longer than a minute but uh, maybe i'll use an example of what i did on sunday okay right to your work so um on sunday uh one of ida eyes dear partner organizations is the born this way foundation which is lady gaga's foundation and she was giving a concert here in san francisco and so I spent some of my time going and volunteering with her organization, which mm-hmm. ultimately we were helping to put together with the United Way some some supplies for kids in need so they could start school right. Mm-hmm. I started off my day going, helping, volunteering there. I spent a little time with Lady Gaga's mom, Cynthia, and my friend Maya, who runs that organization. And we talked to the media about why this work's important. And then that evening we went to Lady Gaga's concert. And when I say we, I mean me and my wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great way to spend a little time, right? So why did I tell this story besides I think it probably does hit on home, work, community, and self? Uh-huh. It, it's exactly how we have to think about how we do everything. What I've suggested in people who think differently, that's nothing unique to the one in five. That's all of us. And if we create experiences, and that was just what I did on Sunday, that really honor those four-way wins, I actually think your work is fundamental to the success of Eye to Eye's work and the success mm-hmm. of our society to get to a better place. So. Uh, if I did anything today in coming on the show, just, just to say thank you for the work that you do, because I think it is okay. actually leading us forward. That's, that's very kind of you. Uh, so how can people learn more about the great work that you're doing at Eye to Eye? You can definitely visit us online. Um, Eye to Eye National is our website, and we're also on Facebook. So that's uh, E-Y-E-T-O-E-Y-E. National. Okay. Which I won't spell online. <laughs> um, so visit us there. Uh, you can download our new app, which you can find on the Apple Store, called Empower Different Learners. Empower uh, Different Learners. Empower Different Learners. And it's really a tool built for middle school kids, but it's something that all of us can use to go through quests to explore what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, what kind of uh, allies are we looking for, what kind of accommodations do we need. Mm-hmm. So um, if you do those things, it's a great place to start. And, um, and we learn from our community. So as you have challenges, you know, writing us, uh, and then we take the data that people send to us and we push it back out into our community. This has all been one community affair. We've got Dan calling from the Windy City. Dan, welcome to Work and Life. We've only got a minute or two, but if you could briefly tell us your story... I'm sure our listeners would love it. You know, I can tell you, growing up, dyslexic was extremely challenging. I was diagnosed when I was in second grade, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't understand, you know, what I could do or if I was smart or not smart. 
probably until senior year of college. Wow. How did you make it? Even today. How did you you make it? I'm sorry? How did you make it? Uh, (laughs) Perseverance, Mm -hmm. right? You you find a way. When When you're a kid and you're reading out loud in third grade, fifth grade, you sit there scared to death. And you look ahead and you try to do the math, You're like, all right, what part's going to be mine? And then you try to practice reading, and it's it's just, you live in fear growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and today, I mean, I don't I don't share with people at work. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem. I have shared it with some people at work, but, uh, you know, it's not something I put out there. You know, I don't want to, I don't have an excuse, right? I want to be successful or fail mm-hmm. on my own parents and whatever those are or whatever everybody has a challenge right absolutely you have a you have a positive attitude or if you have a negative attitude you know that's you have to deal with that so we all have our own challenges and you know you don't want to be different you don't want to feel different so so want to be what what advice do you have in, in the last 30 seconds here dan for other people who are struggling or to to become themselves and to and to be able to thrive in our society despite their different brains? You know, I would say uh, believe in yourself. You never give up. You find a different way. There's different ways of learning. You find out what's the best way for you to learn and the best way for you to uh, make it through uh, this world. And everybody has a challenge. Mm-hmm. You just figure out what yours is and how to work, work it the best you can. And you'll be successful as long as you keep trying. You got to persevere. I'm sure you must have people around you who are supporting you, helping you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my family obviously knew it when I was uh, growing up. You know, it was interesting. When I was a kid, you know, the doctors at the time still thought they could retrain the muscles in your eye. Wow. They would do exercises. Uh. They would do speed reading and all that. But, you know. You were born that way. They're just for you. It's huge. Dan, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really inspiring. I greatly appreciate it. I know our listeners do, too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dave Flink. And very briefly there at the end with uh, one of the people listening to the show who called in to share his story. And that this episode stimulated some new ideas for action. You know, our show is about helping ourselves and each other to find, to create the freedom to live the lives we really want and to do so in ways that create stronger families, companies, and communities. So this week, let me offer you this challenge, an invitation, and that is simply to spend a few minutes to learn more about people who learn differently by downloading the brand new app that David Flink and his team just released and that he briefly mentioned in my conversation with him. It's called I2I Empower Different Learners. That's I2I Empower Different Learners. And of course, you can get it at Google Play, uh, iTunes, wherever you find your apps. Shop for it. It can serve as a guide for you or people that you know, if you're one of the one in five people who learn differently, or if you just want to discover more about what that world is like. Maybe you work with someone 
who has a learning difference or somebody who works for you. Spend a few minutes exploring this app and I'd love to hear what you discover. So you can write to me, friedmanoutwharton.upenn.edu or message me on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. For more information about David Flink, I urge you to check out i2inational.org. So that's spelling out the words, E-Y-E-T-O-E-Y-E national.org. And you can follow on Twitter at E2E National. So that's E number two E National. And at Dave Flink, F-L-I-N-K. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.